Welcome to Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. Today, Dr. Forrest teaches us about becoming a friend of Jesus. Join me as we make our confessions as a church. We are a church growing and thriving, overflowing with love, strengthening the family, transforming the community, impacting the world, where every member is a minister and a church alive is worth the drive. Amen. Hallelujah. So we've been talking about the progression in our relationship with the Lord that's laid out in Scripture, if you look for it, and it charts out a path for us to go from loving Him out of gratitude, being thankful we were saved from hell, amen, being thankful we're going to heaven, to learning to abide in Him and letting Him abide in us, to finally becoming a trusted friend of Jesus. I want to be a friend of Jesus, amen. Now, we covered a lot of material over the last two weeks, and I'm not going to have time to rehash all of it, so I encourage you to go back into the podcast and listen to part one and part two and then couple it with part three to get the big picture of what I feel like the Lord wanted me to get across to this congregation. So in this last session, I feel compelled to emphasize one more time the final phase of that growth pattern, and that is how to become a trusted friend of Jesus. Amen. John chapter 15, verse 13 through 16. Jesus tells his followers, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. In other words, he said, The greatest expression of love that you can show is to be willing to lay down your life for your friends. And if you're willing to lay down your life for your friends, you should be willing to lay down your life for your friend Jesus. Amen? Hallelujah. Verse 14 says, You are my friends... If you do whatsoever, I command you. That word there, command, means to charge with specific responsibility. So Jesus said, I'll call you my friend if you do what I charge you to do in your life, on this earth, during this era, during your time. Amen? You know, I said this last week, there's a reason that we weren't born in the Middle Ages. Why? Because our destiny lies in this time, in this era. For such a time as this. Amen. So if you're going to be a friend of Jesus, you need to be willing to raise your hand and say, Lord, whatever task, whatever responsibility you have given unto me, I will faithfully follow that charge in my time, in my generation, on this planet, till I go to be with you. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Verse 15 says, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. I love the way the message says it. You are my friends when you do the things I command you. I'm no longer calling you servants because servants don't understand what their master is thinking and planning. No, I've named you friends because I've let you in on everything I've heard from the Father. Amen. Hallelujah. When you become a friend of God, he trusts you enough to confide in you, to let you in on the secrets of heaven. Amen. The plans and purposes of God for this world, for the era in which we live. Amen. And exactly how your calling and your assignment and your charge fits into that greater plan. Amen. Glory to God. 
Verse 16, Jesus says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. I want to camp here for a little while because it's so anointed. It's so full of revelation. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. The root word there that is translated ordained means to lay prostrate before the Lord. To to put your face to the floor and your arms at your side and basically say symbolically, Lord, I lay my life before you. Do with me whatever you will, not what I will. That's what it means to be ordained for a specific purpose, for a specific task, for a specific assignment in your generation, in your time. Amen. Hallelujah. And then at the very end, it says that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, as my representative, the Amplified says, he may give it you. So you go back and you say, he has ordained us to bring forth fruit and that that fruit should remain. Therefore, whatsoever you ask the Father as his representative on the earth, he's going to give it to you. Amen. Whatever it is that you need to carry out your specific charge, your calling, your assignment in this era, in your time, on this planet, he said, I will give it to you because you represent me now. So let me wrap it up here on this verse here. This is so awesome to me. I believe Jesus is saying that whatever we ask the Father for in Jesus' name that is connected to or helps us carry out our commission on the earth, it will be given to us without hesitation because we are His representatives carrying out His plan in this era for our lives. Amen. Glory to God. Jesus said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Amen. Notice it doesn't say, if you ask according to my will. It says, according to your will. Because if you abide in him and he abides in you, your thoughts become his thoughts. Your will becomes his will. Your ways become his ways. And the two become one so that anything you ask for is going to be right smack in the middle of God's will for your life. Amen. You're not going to ask for something silly like, I'm believing God for a million oil wells. Well, do you have the capital and the organization and the structure to handle a million oil wells? I seriously doubt it. Get real. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now I want to shift focus a little bit and talk about a biblical forerunner of what it means to be a friend of Jesus. Abraham, in my opinion, is the biblical forerunner or prototype of becoming the friend of Jesus. James chapter 2, verse 23 bears this out. It says, And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Amen. Hallelujah. So let's begin at Genesis chapter 18, and we're going to read 33 verses in church, in one sitting. So take a deep breath and hang with me, because I will from time to time stop and share what I feel like the Word is saying to us. Amen. Genesis chapter 18, verse 1. The Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. Now, right off the bat, Mamre is a Hebrew word which means strength. Is there a better picture of strength than the mighty oak tree? 
So right off the bat, we're talking about the strength of the Lord. The Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. One day, Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest part of the day. Hallelujah. Sometimes when you're going through the hottest trial of your life, God shows up suddenly with the answer. Amen. Glory to God. He looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. My Lord, he said, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. Amen. I'm going to stop right there. If you read through this passage a few times, it becomes apparent that these three men, this three-man delegation was most likely the Lord himself accompanied by two angels. This is borne out in the next chapter when two of those angels peel off to go rain down fire and brimstone on the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Amen. Anyway, it's very interesting to me. Things like that catch my interest. So, although it's a side issue, I think it's interesting to note that the Lord God himself, whom the Bible declares is a spirit, took on the appearance of a man in this particular incident. Now, I like to point out that the apostle saw the Lord God sitting on a great white throne in the book of Revelation. And he describes him with human characteristics. He said, I saw one sitting on the throne. So to sit, you got to have a backside. You got to have thighs, right? He said, I beheld he had a book in his right hand. So he had hands. So if he had hands and a backside and thighs, he, he had legs and arms and, and, a, and a head like us. Amen. So what he was seeing was the Spirit of God who took on a humanoid form. Now, on March 20th, 2005, I had a vision. I was praying in the Spirit in the middle of the night, and I was caught up before a great white throne just for a few moments, and I saw the form of the Father God sitting on the throne. I saw his shins, his feet, his thighs, his midsection, all the way up to about his chest, and then from chest up, the whole room was filled with smoke, and I was worshiping God. Okay? So I can relate to realizing that even though God is a spirit, he is able to take on a humanoid form. Amen. And I think it was the case when he sent his son, I believe it was his son, the living word of God, in his pre-incarnate form. Theologians refer to the spirit of Christ before he took on flesh as the pre-incarnate Christ. It is my belief that this was the Son of the living God in His pre-incarnate form because He came to deliver the Word of God to Abraham. So here's what Abraham says. Rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet. I'll tell you what, stop right there, especially because of what happened in our worship service this morning. Abraham recognized the presence of the Lord. And invited the Lord to rest and remain under the shade of the oak trees. If you want to be a friend of God, if you want to be a friend of Jesus, you have to welcome the presence of God into your life. You can't be afraid of it. You can't be spooked by it. You got to invite the presence in your life, even if it brings manifestations that you're uncomfortable with. You've got to invite the presence into your life in a corporate setting and in a private setting. If you don't have the presence in your life, you'll not have the fullness of joy, which Ricky brought out in one of his tongues and interpretation. You'll not have the revelation of who God is and how much he loves you. 
you'll not be able to operate in the gifts of the Spirit, I don't believe, unless you spend time in the presence of God. So if you want to be a friend of Jesus, you need to recognize the presence, and you need to be willing to wait in that presence. He said, rest and remain here. In other words, I want this presence to remain under the oak trees, under the strength of God. I want the rest of God, the presence of God in this place. So just stay here. Now, Abraham began immediately to minister unto the Lord by washing his feet. Isn't that interesting? Jesus washed the feet of his disciples to illustrate to them the concept of a servant's heart. In other words, being willing to wash the feet of others as a way of ministering to the Lord directly. If you wash the feet of others, if you minister to others, Jesus said, if you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. So in the Old Testament, Abraham realized that he had to have a servant's heart. And the very first thing that he decided to do was wash the feet of the pre-incarnate Christ. I don't know how that works. You know, if he hadn't taken on flesh, how could he get dirt between his toes? But, you know, I believe it somehow, some way. <laughs> He had a spiritual form, okay? And then the two angels, of course, had the bodies of angels, but he chose to wash their feet. Rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet. Amen. Verse 5 says, And since you've honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. All right, they said, do as you have said. Now, let me stop right there. You've got to know that he's going to prepare a feast, a banquet, and it's not going to take just a few minutes. It's going to take a while. So Abraham ran back to the tent and said to Sarah, hurry, get three large measures of your best flour, knead it into dough and bake some bread. Then Abraham ran out to the herd and chose a tender calf and gave it to his servant who quickly prepared it. When the food was ready, Abraham took some yogurt and milk and the roasted meat, and he served it to the men. As they ate, Abraham waited on them in the shade of the trees. Again, you know, I get interested about the details here, okay? If Jesus was in his pre-incarnate state, how was he able to eat meat? I, I don't know. It's interesting to think about. But he was able to do that. So evidently, a spirit can be solid and do things in solid form. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot to think about there, and I don't want to go there, but those are the kinds of things that just tweak me, you know? How did that happen exactly, you know? How did that happen? So Abraham ministered to and waited on the Lord, but he also waited on those that were with him. Although they were angels, they were, in a sense, his brethren. If you want to be a friend of Jesus, you have to have a servant's heart and be willing to minister to the needs of others, as I said before. To the least of these, my brethren, Jesus said, as a way of ministering to the Lord himself. When we spend time in his presence, waiting on and ministering to the Lord, it inspires us to go forth from his presence and minister to others in his name. Does it not? Don't you feel charged up right now? You know, after I pray in the Holy Ghost for an hour or so, I feel like laying hands on the first thing that moves and praying for their healing, you know. I do. Sometimes I've prayed in the Spirit as long as five or six hours when I've been on a long journey in the car by myself. I get out and I go into Circle K to get a Slurpee or something, and I feel like just slapping everybody behind the counter in the name of Jesus. You know? 
you know, you have to restrain yourself, you know. It was like, you know, it's like, you know, you're just a live wire, you know. It's like, I've been praying in the Holy Ghost for six hours. And, of course, they know nothing about what that means, so you can't really tell them that, you know. Why are you shaking, sir? It's a long story. <laughs> Do you have a need in your life, you know? <laughs> let me run my card through the deal, and let me pray for you in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, you shouldn't overlook those opportunities like that when somebody inadvertently, quote-unquote, lets you know they have a need. You need to stop right there and say, you know what? I may be the only Jesus they meet today. I need to be willing to pray for them. Hallelujah. Be willing to minister to the needs of others as a way of ministering unto the Lord himself. Amen. If you want to be a friend of Jesus. Praise God. Then he says, verse 9, Where is Sarah, your wife? The visitors ask. She's inside the tent, Abraham replied. Now, this is hilarious, so I might laugh. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, and Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself and said, How could a worn-out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is also so old? In other words, are you bagging me? He and I are going to get intimate and we're going to have a baby? Come on. Hallelujah. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? You know, she laughed within herself, so the Lord heard her anyway. Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, but the Lord said, no, you did laugh. In other words, you, we would say it like this. Oh, yes, you did, because I heard you, you know. So, so go back to verse 10. This is, you know, things like this tweak me. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Do you think it was just randomly one of them? Which one of them do you think it was? I don't think it was the angel or his buddy. I think it was the pre-incarnate Christ who said, I will return as the living word of God to you, and you will have a son. Now, mind you, this is 25 years after the original promise. It finally gets settled in their heart. They're really going to have a baby. I'm going to have a baby with Sarah, not with Hagar, but with Sarah. This is really going to happen. And right there, right after that incident, I believe is when faith dropped into their heart. A lot of people think that faith was developed by Abraham and Sarah over the 25 years. No, they tried to make things happen, and they tried to do it themselves. And when they finally gave up and they were past even believing God for an old person to have a baby, then Jesus shows up said, you're going to have a baby, just like I said you were. I don't care if 25 years have passed. I don't care if it's more impossible now than it was the first time I told you about it. We're going to get this thing done, amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You know, sometimes God will do that. He'll wait until it's more impossible than when he first spoke it to you, and then all of a sudden there will be a suddenly in your life, and something you've been believing God for for 20 or 30 years will just be dropped in your lap. 
Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I believe that was a word for somebody in here. You've been holding on to something for decades. You're about to have a suddenly, and that thing's going to drop in your lap, and you're going to go, here it is. Thank you, Jesus. And then you're going to fall out in the power. Not necessarily. You may fall out of your chair. Hallelujah. All right. I'm totally lost because I'm just meandering and having fun doing it. Amen. Praise the Lord. What verse was I on? So the pre-incarnate Christ, my interpretation, says you're going to have the baby that we've been talking about for 25 years. Amen. When you're a friend of Jesus, he lets you in on the secrets of heaven, the plans and purposes of God for the world and for the era, the time frame in which you live. And Jesus, I believe, in pre-incarnate form, said to them, it is now time. You're going to have a baby. Why? Because your personal desire has a part to play in the greater plan of God for mankind. Amen? Praise the Lord. He'll show you your part in the greater plan of God for mankind. Consider this. He will even reveal the impact that your calling, your dream, your vision, your desire will have on future generations. The Lord tells Abraham that he and Sarah will have a son before the year is out, which is an integral part of the plan of God for the redemption of mankind. Amen. Through Isaac, the Hebrew people would come forth, and from the Hebrew people would come the written word of God and the living word of God, Jesus Christ himself. Amen. Manifested in the flesh. Amen. So they they had some personal desires. They would have a an heir, a descendant. But God let them in on the greater plan because he was a friend of God and said, I'm not only going to meet your desire. I'm going to show you how the fulfillment of your desire is going to bless the entire world. I'm going to bless you so that you can bless the nations. Amen. Glory to God. It's the same way with us as we'll get to here in just a minute. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Then the men got up from their meal and looked out toward Sodom. As they left, Abraham went with them to send them on their way. Should I hide my plan from Abraham, the Lord asked? For Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Then I will do for Abraham all that I have promised. So the Lord told Abraham, I have heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. I'm going down to see if their actions are as wicked as I have heard. If not, I want to know. The other men turned and headed toward Sodom, but the Lord remained with Abraham. Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Suppose you find 50 righteous people living there in the city. Will you still sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous along with the wicked. Why, you would be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same. Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Amen. And the Lord replied, If I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I will spare the entire city for their sakes. Then Abraham spoke again, since I have begun, let me speak further to my Lord, even though I am but dust and ashes. 
Suppose there are only 45 righteous people rather than 50. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And the Lord said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 righteous people there. Then Abraham pressed his request further. Suppose there are only 40. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it for the sake of the 40. Please don't be angry, my Lord, Abraham pleaded. Let me speak. Suppose only 30 righteous people are found. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it if I find 30. Then Abraham said, since I have dared to speak to the Lord, let me continue. Suppose there are only 20. And the Lord replied, then I will not destroy it for the sake of the 20. Finally, Abraham said, Lord, please don't be angry with me. If I speak one more time, suppose only 10 are found there. And the Lord replied, then I will not destroy it for the sake of the 10. When the Lord had finished his conversation with Abraham, he went on his way and Abraham returned to his tent. Abraham stopped at 10. You ever wonder why he stopped at 10? I got my own thoughts, which I'll share with you. Because Abraham was the friend of God, the Lord let him in on his plans to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, giving him input into that plan. I believe Abraham had done the math and had counted six people, perhaps ten, that he thought might be persuaded to leave the city of Sodom. Lot, his wife, his two daughters, their two husbands, and possibly their parents. That's ten people. Thus, he stopped negotiating at 10, in my opinion. In either case, there were only four in the end that could be persuaded to leave before the fire and brimstone fell. Now, let me just tell you what brimstone is. Brimstone is molten sulfur that burns at 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. If it hits you, you will burst into flames. Just one ball of sulfur at that temperature And the city of Sodom and Gomorrah and all five cities of the plain were pelted for who knows how long with balls of burning sulfur so hot that everything they touched burst into flames. And there is evidence in the plains of the salt sea there that there were cities there that were burned from the top down. In other words, the evidence is that something very, very hot hit the roofs of these cities burned through, and then burned the contents of everything inside all of the rooms. They have found sulfur balls, the remnants of these brimstone balls that came down from heaven. They're there. You can go pick them up. They're the remnants of burning balls of sulfur that burned at 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. I shudder to think of it. I shudder to think of it. So even if Abraham had gone down to five, There was not even five to convince the Lord to spare the city for their sakes. Now, here's something I want to touch on real quickly because a lot of people don't understand about the way things were in the old covenant. In the old covenant, for the sake of those that would come, God had to treat sin like a cancer. Anywhere it got out of control, it had to be cut out like cancer. Otherwise, it would threaten the bloodline of Jesus that was about to come through his friend, Abraham. Amen? It had to be dealt with. For the sake of the billions that were to come, judgment had to fall on however many were in the five cities of the plain. Amen. All right, I want to wrap this up by sharing again the dream that I had. I actually ended last session by sharing this dream, but I really feel like I need to share it because 
I think it's going to impact your life. It's going to speak to your life. On September 23rd, I had a dream in which Trisha and I were designing and building a brand new golf course. And after we finished designing the golf course, we looked at each other and said, now that it's complete, it's time to play golf. As we have come to know after much prayer and meditation, designing and building a golf course is a type of laying out the vision as it's revealed to you by the Lord. And playing golf is a type of walking out the vision, fairway by fairway, green by green, driving, chipping, putting, hole by hole, until you complete the course. Now, on October 18th, I had another prophetic dream in which I was standing in the middle of the fairway on a giant golf course, and I was in the sand trap about halfway to the top of the fairway, and I saw Jesus walking from the top of the fairway all the way down to where I was standing. As he got about 20, 30 feet away from me, he said, it's not going to be like it was before. He indicated to me, and I don't have time to share all the details. You can go hear about it in the podcast the last week. But he basically said, it's not going to be like it was before. You're not going to get stuck in the sand trap. You are going to be able to complete the course. Amen. Hallelujah. When he got up to me, and he was dressed in white, and he had a blue sash, he was gregarious. He was laughing. You know, so many people have the wrong picture of Jesus. If, if they saw the Jesus I saw, they'd, they'd have a completely different view of the way Jesus is. He came to me. He strode toward me aggressively. I mean, at first, when he started to come down the fairway, I thought, well, he's just coming by me. But when he got within 20, 30 feet, I knew he was coming for me. And he came into the sand trap with me, and he put his hand on my head. And he said, friend. And, of course, I told you last week I hit my knees like a sack of potatoes and started weeping and crying and shaking. Why am I sharing this with you? Of the three times that Jesus has appeared to me in visions and dreams, he has never addressed me as his friend. This was the first time. And so I had to ask myself the question, why are you calling me friend now? I believe it was his way of commissioning me to complete this new course, this new project that he had laid before me and my wife in such a visual and powerful way. Acts chapter 20, verse 24 says, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. That day on the golf course, Jesus said, You're not only going to finish your course, but you're going to finish your course with joy. And that course involves starting this church. That's not the only part of it, but it's a big part of what God called us to do here in North Carolina. Why we returned to our home state after almost 30 years was because Faith Life Fellowship was in the heart of God, and he needed us to come here and begin this church. Amen. Now, I've responded to this charge by letting the Lord know that I'm ready to commit my life to this new charge and trust that as I do, he will enable me to finish my course with joy. Why am I sharing this with you? I felt compelled to share this dream because we all have a part to play in the fulfillment of this dream. Amen. It's not just mine and Trisha's. If you call yourself a part of Faith Life Fellowship, you have a part to play in building this church. As we lay out the vision for this church, you got to catch the vision. And you got to be willing to help us walk it out step by step, phase by phase. you got to do your part or we're not going to get it done. We need you. 
And if you'll pray for us, I promise we'll do a better job of laying out the vision and helping you get involved, using your gifts and abilities and talents to fulfill the vision of this house. And as you help us fulfill the vision of this house, God will help you fulfill your vision. He will help you finish your course. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message on Becoming a Friend of Jesus. If you'd like to learn more about Faith Life Fellowship and access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, you can visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that He conquered death. We believe in the resurrection. And He's coming back again. We